My first rifle was a 243. Papa gave daddy and daddy gave to me. And they taught me how to shoot with a steady hand. I guess that's something you don't understand. Welcome back to another episode of All American Wing Shooting Podcast. Today, we have a special historian from Northwest Georgia at Conasaga Outfitters. Welcome, Jesse. Hey, Anna. Excited to be here. Yeah, I know. It's so crazy. I haven't seen you in forever, and now I've seen you twice in a short amount of time. I know. Sorry we had to cancel last time. Everything, it was crazy that day, and all your trees blew down. Oh no. Well, my poor dad, we went um to like our local buffet country vegetable place for dinner tonight. And a lady that helps them with the fall festival was in there. And my dad was he could have just cried. They lost 80 trees in five weeks. So not all in one storm, separate storms? Separate storms. And then yesterday okay. um they canceled school early for the storms coming in and I have a basement. My parents don't. So they came to my house and we literally just stood on the back porch just praying <laughs> that we didn't lose any more trees. It's I, it's crazy how we get attached to them. And you're the same way because, it, you know, that it changes your landscape. You know, I mean, oh, you, can't, sure. you can't get them back like we will never see our property the same way. And so he's just done so much here on on our farm and stuff. It's just heartbreaking. So, yeah, that was rough. But we got lucky yesterday. We didn't lose anything. That's good. Yeah, so what's going on over there in Resaca, Georgia? Oh, man, just getting ready for this dove hunt. Seems like all I do is sit on a tractor or lawnmower or weed eat or something like that, getting ready for this dove hunt. Well, you always kick off the season with a dove hunt at your farm. How long have you been doing that? This is our fourth annual um dove hunt i've been doing a little dove hunt for years and years and years but we started four years ago doing like a big you know trying to have a pay shoot and lots of people come out and it's been great um we're excited for this year hopefully it's gonna be the best one yet i say that every year but um i think this is gonna be it well okay you're you're not really elaborating on how cool your place is First of all, <laughs> we're going to dive into the history there because it's unlike any other place that I've been. And I've been to some really cool places in Georgia with a lot of history. But I have to say yours is the first battlefield that I've hunted really? on. Yeah. And um, also, you guys just go all out. I posted this week a picture of Taterbug from a few years back eating corn on the cob and i am not a big corn person but <laughs> you guys do something super special open fire in the shock everybody is like crazy walking around <laughs> with uh ears of corn everywhere it's like the tradition highlight of your dove shoot yeah we try to make it you know an event instead of just a you know just a hunting day um we have all ages of people coming out and we try to do something for everybody. Um, yeah, it's not just your normal little dove shoot. Um, we, we try to do something special every year. Um, last year, we fired a cannon to, to 
to start the day. We're going to do the same thing this year. Um, we have the Antique Tractor Club that uh, provides shuttles back and forth to the field, to our pavilion, to the restrooms all day. I think that's real cool. Um, I actually just came from a tractor club meeting. Um, we had the just just a few minutes ago, and we'll have at least five tractors, probably six. Um, should be a plenty enough to get everybody moving all day long. So you're not just stuck in the field. If you wanna, if you wanna go down at twelve o'clock and and sit in the sun. Uh, <laughs> I don't blame you. I kind of, I kind of do that too, but I, I'm more of a late afternoon guy. I like pulling in around three or four. So there's plenty of opportunity to do all that kind of stuff and, uh, and not feel like you're missing out on anything. Well, the, the last year that I was there, I actually made it out to the field, but the first year I was there, I never even made it out to the field. We had so much fun at the tent. Kids were playing in the pool. We all had our dogs in the pond. And before I knew it, it was five o'clock. And I'm like, what? <laughs> where did this day go? But we just had such a blast. Well, I'm glad you did. Charlie, my daughter still talks about meeting your daughter that day and, and all the fun they had. That was one of her top days of her life, I feel like. Oh, that's so fun. They yeah, look, raising they kids in this world is... As we do. But now they look forward to the it. Kid, the kids look forward to it as much as we do. It gives them a chance to work and, and be part of, you know, like a group effort to try to keep everybody, you know, in order and, and going where they're supposed to go and, and keeping their food and all that kind of stuff, keeping everything cleaned up. We put the kids to work and they really seem to enjoy it. They do enjoy it. And what's so cool about that culture there that you've created is the kids just hang out with whoever and they just go and they do their thing. And it's so fun to see them just make new friends, instant new friends, and then just tag along. So raising kids, we'll have to talk about raising kids with bird dogs and around hunting <laughs> all the time. And what's so funny is we were just there doing an over under shoot. And then Tater was supposed to be in and I figured Charlie would throw her shirts on. And the next thing we knew, the kids ditched us and went tubing down the the river it was so uh, hot yeah. they're like forget y'all we're out of here it was so funny like at least they left us the dogs but i want to hear all about the history of your place i know the um battle of was part of the civil war and this is um such a highlight of your farm and and it's beautiful and everybody wants to come there and i know you do a reactment every year um, so tell me all about that because your grandfather purchased this in the 30s, right? My great grandfather, yeah. Thurman great grandfather, yes. he, was, he was my great grandfather. He started he started buying it up um acre by acre, like little track at a time. And the first few tracks, um we still have the deed, and he had traded a few acres for a few bales of cotton. So no um, he, was he was bailing the cotton and trading that for acres of land. And yeah, and it, it just grew and grew. He kept buying and buying. And uh, now we're left with what, uh, what he started and we're trying to keep it intact and, you know, keep his legacy going. He, he was a big quail hunter himself. I kind of, in my mind, I, 
he didn't he didn't farm a lot. He he did run some cows, but in my mind, I think he was buying this land for quail hunting. He had a huge uh, dog kennel close to where our pavilion is, where the where we meet to eat lunch. And um, he was a setter guy. I'm a setter guy. I just try to kind of live in his footsteps, I guess, a little bit. Um, try to honor him a little bit. I've got his shotgun hanging above my head right now. It hangs above my bed every night. And um, yeah, he was a big influence on me and, and the whole family. And um, yeah, we're just trying to keep keep it going as much as we can, you know, um, in his honor and his wife. Um, they're big um, activists, you know, they, they love uh, quail hunting in particular. Um, and I, I guess that's kind of where I get it. So uh, that's Did where you it get all to know here. him? Was he alive? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, he passed away when I was, I don't know the year, but I was, you know, 12, 13, something like that. That's about we're, how old I was when I lost my great-grandpa. Yeah, we were, we're very close. fortunate to say that we had that type of influence in our life. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, I had uh, both sides of my great-grandparents for a while, um, and his wife lived a lot longer than he did, so uh, I really got, you know, to know her a lot better as an adult even so it um but yeah we were really close that's so funny my i was raised every sunday afternoon we went to my great grandparents house and we alternated i had three sets of great grandparents one lived in florida so they weren't on the rotation but the other two every sunday afternoon we'd porch sit and watch cars go by I mean, <laughs> like you talk about that now and it sounds so foreign, but that's the way we were raised. Right. Yeah. Sunday dinner. Yeah, we, yeah. And I, I miss that. I'd like to recreate that. We used to always eat at my grandmother's house uh, Sunday lunch up until maybe, you know, 10, 12 years ago. Almost every Sunday we would eat and when i'd come home from college that was like the first thing i'd want to do is have sunday lunch you know at, at my grandmother's <laughs> house it's just yeah. it's the best i know so there's like... some gravy with biscuits oh, yeah. and you know, something but anyway but yeah there's the staples for sure that they have and that's what i loved about about your shoot is that the corn on the cob there was such an icon with that huge massive grill and everybody sitting under the tent it it felt so historic, even though, <laughs> I mean, I do know that you guys cook on fire in the big pots and all that stuff and like campfire cooks and stuff, but you well, just feel historic. You feel like you're going back in time there and it's so comfortable, but I want to know, did your, did your great grandparents live on the house on the farm? Is that, did they live there? They did. Yeah. Um, like when you, you can't see it from the road, but when you pull in, there's a driveway that turns off to the left and there's a few houses up that hill. Uh, my great grandparents lived in a house on the very top of that hill that recently has just burned down. Um, my aunt and uncle had have lived there for 20, 30 years. And just this past, um, I mean, it was, I mean, it was still cold. So I guess it was, 
this past winter, um, yeah, it, they lost everything in, in the house that my great-grandparents had built. Oh, so, how devastating. Um, yeah, it was, it was a terrible day. I had to pretty much just watch it burn. There was nothing we could do by the time any of us got there. We just had to watch the firemen do their thing and and there was very little left and um but anyway yeah they they lived in that house and um and then they moved next door they built a house next door and my grandmother is living in that house now and um so they kind of moved around swapped houses a few times but um but yeah they they definitely and you know, left uh, the latter part of their life here on the farm. They're always here in Rosaka. Um, there was some property on the other side of the road, other side of Highway 41, that uh, that they had houses on to as well. That's where my mom and and uh, aunts and uncles grew up. They didn't move on to grew the up farm. across the road from the battlefield. Across the road from the battlefield, right? Yeah. They moved onto the farm in the mid seventies, I believe. The first house was built. Mm. I could I could be wrong about that. Could have been a little earlier than that. So I know that the battle was uh what was it the eighteenth what 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 year was that? Eighteen sixty four. Yeah. Sixty four. Yeah. Okay. I was I was gonna say sixty-three. Um and then when I was there the other day, y'all talked about how you can still find yeah, bullets and stuff when the rain washes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. On any roadbed or, or uh, any bare dirt, you just you got to keep your eyes open. See, they're going to be a arrowhead. We have the woodland Indians all over this land. Um, we find crazy amount of artifacts of those, too. And, uh, you know, mini balls um from the civil war just just sitting right out on top still um and it, it's it's been picked over back in the 80s and the 1980s everybody in uh was big into metal detecting and and lots of things got metal detected out and and found up but um but i'm i'm sure there's still some great treasures around supposedly there's still a cannon um there was a a broken cannon i don't know if there's a wheel or or something but uh and, and uh they didn't want to leave it behind the confederates didn't want to leave it for the union to find so they drug it off and supposedly dropped it in a well or a ditch and it hadn't been found yet but you know there's kind of a, a legend that it's still here on this property somewhere so how many it's, acres in there uh, I don't know exactly. We're um, around 500, f between five and 600. It's um, the whole bulk of the farm is owned by our LLC and the LLC itself owns 432 acres. And then there's a bunch of privately owned tracks that all connect. Like my mom owns her track and my uncle owns his track. And I've never added it all up. We don't know exactly, but between That's five so and six. Awesome. I mean, you go there, like you that. just, yeah, you feel like you could just get lost out there. It's just oh, yeah, never in all the dirt roads. They just never end. And as many railroad tracks as I've crossed 
I think y'all's is the prettiest place. I said, I'm kicking myself. I think about it every week. I'm like, I had Brooker there and I had my dogs there. What a cool dang picture that would have been walking down the railroad tracks with my dogs. So I told them, I said, well, we're coming back. We're coming back when we're putting birds out and dogs' tongues aren't hanging to the ground. Well, that's going to be a few months before it gets cold enough for that. But I know, man. It was uh, so hot out there that day, though. I know it was 95 degrees. Oh, yeah, at least. But, yeah, um, as soon as you cross the train tracks um, and get south of, of uh, like, the main part of the land, we call that the bottoms. And that that's where our actual dove shoot is. The river um, is as well. And, that's where it's always been our agricultural land down there. And uh, and for some reason, when you cross the train tracks and then go through that gate, it just feels like you're on a, almost a different piece of the property than the rest of it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've always just called that the bottoms. And uh, it's really neat getting to take people down there and uh, and let and letting them hunt. Well, we've got to do our whole lives and, and pretty much take for granted, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, I grew up here and I, I just, I don't, I don't get to appreciate it like I should, I guess, every day. Um, Cause it's, you know, it's just what I know, but uh, it, it is really fun to get to see people, their, their eyes light up when they get to see, you know, different, different things on the farm. And it's, you know, that's, that's really, um, something that i find interesting i i you know I, I really love showing people around especially with a gun you know taking somebody on a bird hunt that's the best way to get to know a piece of property on foot with a dog and a shotgun um i love it i do too well this last trip that i came was the first time that i'd been out where the big hill is and in that field, I had not been there before. And I thought that was the prettiest place. I mean, the sun was setting. I would have loved to have been up on the hill. Like we're facing out the big hill that goes up on the right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where we yeah. Where were shooting in the, in the gun emplacements. Yeah. Which I didn't realize that we were kind of parallel to the clubhouse in the area right there. But because I felt yes. like we were further back on the property than we were. No, and that that's where we do the majority of our quail hunting in those wide open rolling fields. Um, of course, it's all green right now, but in just a few months, it'll turn to dark brown broom sage and just ends, just got hill after hill after hill of endless opportunities. Uh, and massive oak trees. Just beautiful, big, yeah. big oak trees. Yeah. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah, I've lots of pines. Told... We've, we've been fending our pines um, for quail hunting, obviously. Um, I'm really excited. As soon as we get to send some fire through them, we're going to, um, they'll be thin enough to where we really get through there and do some good uh, circles, good hunts in the woods. I want to be able to hunt a full two hours and and nothing but thin uh pine timber so i'm really excited about that that's one thing we've been working on 
here uh, trying to build a habitat but within our pine trees, within the forest. Um, and we're, just, we're waiting on this, this winter, we're gonna burn all the woods that we thinned and then the following winter should be great. Um, right now it's pretty thick, still pretty thick, but um, after a good fire, we're gonna be ready to go. Well, I've got a, a kid, a new kid is the little brother of the, of the guy that used to take care of my dogs. He went off to college. So his little brother took his job and he's never hunted before. And so I told him that his first hunt that I was going to bring him to your place. So he's so pumped oh. about it. Yeah. I just saw him at church Sunday and I was like, I asked him, you know, if he'd ever tied his hunter safety, he said, no. So, um, I can take him once on a mentor hunt and get him hooked and then i was like you're gonna have to sit on the computer on a saturday knock that out but i, I do right, think right, right. like maybe um georgia sci will host a day and i could probably fill a whole class for hunter safety so maybe i just look into um to putting one of those together yeah and when i was a kid that was the only option there was no online so i remember driving hours my uncle jewel drove all of us hours Y'all made a family day of it. I love it. Oh, yeah. There, yeah. Um, and, uh, and I mean, it was like three, three-hour classes, I feel like. Maybe two, three-hour classes or something. But it was it was long for a kid. And then we had a, like a two-hour drive back, two nights in a row, three nights in a row. I remember it being a big ordeal. Now these kids just get to read it on their phone. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's like different. an eight-hour thing. Yeah, if you do it, I'll send Charlie and let, let her get certified through you. That'd be great. Yeah, we'll do we'll do because Taterbug will do it too. I've been giving her the practice test. Like you can go online and take a practice. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Because the kids never been exposed to anything but upland, right? Waterfowl. So when it comes to um talking about big game stuff or turkey stuff, she's like a deer in headlights. So I was like, oh, we're gonna have to yeah. bump up your education because it's not just gun safety. You know, there's a lot of habitat questions and stuff on there. So. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I haven't looked at it in years, but when I first started in the outdoor industry and I was still doing all my pistol stuff, I would host these classes because I would host, I would take ladies hunting for deer and Turkey. I would host those before, before my first dog that changed my life. And then I was such a bird dog snob. <laughs> I forgot anything else existed. So, um, was yeah, it but short I, yeah, the black one that I brought to your house. That was your first bird dog. Yeah, she's nine. She just turned oh, nine last what... month. Yep. So this will yeah, be seventh bird hunting season. And it's crazy to think the things that I've jammed in in, you know, just six full years. I I don't know how I got away with it. <laughs> I don't know. I just like threw caution to the wind and just hit the road. I was like, I have an addiction and I have to like experience every aspect of this that I possibly can find myself into. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and you get to travel around and and, and uh, try all these different places and stuff. And I'm stuck here hunting the same thing over and over, taking guided 
you know, taking yeah, I mean, guys you know or people on guided tours, but uh, no, this is, this is what I tell everybody. And you're going to appreciate this because of what you do and the legacy that you're building and continuing on, which I want to hear more about your family stuff because I'm already like in secret, um, all of the, of the farm that you guys have with the history there and the commitment that you guys have made. So, um, I think you, you probably just tell stories all night about that, but the thing about preserve hunting, like, I'm not a big game hunter, but I hear all the controversy with the high fence, right? Because yeah. I'm a bird hunter and because we do kick and shoot and because I was a tournament hunter, I still missed birds, even though it was kick and shoot, right? Like you don't hit a hundred percent of anything. So for me and the, and coming in as an adult hunter, having to teach myself, like, it's not like I had a dad that raised me in this, or I didn't marry into a family that did this, whatever. So, um, I just don't have any negative opinions of any type of hunts. I think if People are spending money in our industry and supporting our cause and keeping our, you know, voting for our rights. They should just be supported. You know, it is what it is. There's people that that just don't have the time. They just live a different life. Like I think about the short amount of time that I had to live in Atlanta and how I never would have had time to manage a piece of property properly to have produced anything that somebody would have wanted to shoot right so i think that there that's why we have i guess the need for these other options and if people are going to take that animal and mount it in their office and create conversation to bring people into the outdoors i think it's a win-win you know and so we also have cows and so i think about you know, the people that are managing and raising and focus on genetics. And I'm like, really, what's the difference? I mean, we don't even give these cows a fair chance, right? Like we are raising them for slaughter where people are raising deer for a kill. Like, I don't, I don't know. I just, I have not heard a different perspective of it to have a different opinion because of the bird hunting world where I've seen people get introduced <clears throat> to the outdoors they don't need to know anything. They don't need to have anything. They have this great guide with a fun dog, borrowed shotgun, and they learn to love and appreciate the environment and the hunt itself, right? And then it's up to them if they want to go and get all fanatical like I did with their own dogs and public land and all stuff, or you can just lodge hop across the country, or maybe you do sell out and you go hardcore, but when you age out of wanting to weather blizzards and all the nasty things that actually happen in the winter, chasing these wild birds all over the country, you can go back to the preserves and like, you never have to give it up. So for me, like that has been the full circle because there's a, a, um, a lodge that's over towards Athens where I started all of my dogs. And I mean, they started at the bottom of the barrel. It was these two guys out of college, quit their, you know, their suit and tie jobs, ran a preserve out of a rundown barn, South Fork. If, if you come to North Georgia on the East side, everybody knows South Fork because that's really all we got. Well, I watched these guys just love people and grow 
this community and now they have this massive house and all these fields and they're they're doing some plantation duck hunts too but there's all this group of older retired men that are there every Saturday of the season and they go run their their dogs and they have a blast of a time and they set their Coleman stove up on their tailgates right at like the bird cleaning barn and they're just having the time of their life. And so when the kids come through there and they see this, it makes them want to do more too, you know? I mean, these these guys are like, get over here and try this, you know? And so for me, like, I just try to pay attention to all the aspects of this world and what it offers. And you can do it for forever. There's something for everybody. Yeah, I agree totally. And I mean, without preserved hunting, without liberated birds, there just wouldn't be the opportunity like this this whole quail hunting thing would it would die with with our generation or the generation before us um i think we're you know kind of keeping it alive and and hopefully um be part of what they're calling the the largest restoration project in in uh in the united states history and and try to establish some rock wild coveys again mm-hmm. and i yeah, without preserve hunting and people like like us keeping it keeping the keeping the, the thought alive you know it, it would probably just go away completely so i like to think we're doing our part in uh in what we can you know to keep the tradition going like i said it all comes back to you know like my great-grandfather just thinking about i'm doing kind of what he used to do and um when he was my age so that's kind of where I get it from. So how how did that go from generation to generation to get to you taking over your farm and starting the preserve and all that? What, like, where did that start? Well, um, we never did too much. I mean, this this farm has never produced that much money for itself. Um, it's kind of just been like our um, playground, you know, our, our um, it's always, you know, my uncles have hunted it. They're big into deer hunting and stuff like that. And and we always did some agricultural stuff, row cropping that we leased out. But, um, I guess it was about 2020. We just decided that we wanted to um, try to make some real income have the farm pay for itself and i stepped up and you know i've always wanted to do this ever since college this has always been on you know like the top of my list of things i wanted to do professionally we've talked about it as a family for years and years and years and i just finally got to a point where i could i had the means to you know to try to make it happen um and I guess it was 2020 is um, we just got, you know, the um, preserve license and started and started guiding for for profit. I've, I've been doing guided hunts out here for, I don't know, since 2007, um, if not before that. But that's that's really when I got into it big after college. And um so COVID, kind of, COVID changed my life too, for the best. <laughs> we got uh, bored. It's like, live, like if this is our last chance to have the life we want, I'm taking it. 
Well, and then, I mean, fortunately for me, like COVID did hit, but people still came out and quail hunting because, you know, we were outside and, and uh, we were spread apart and it, it really didn't affect that too bad. We, we thought maybe the dove hunt that year would be affected by it, but. Um, I don't it, think, it, I don't it, think many hunters cared because my world stayed going too. I think that's so funny, but I was, I was up North then. I lose you. Mm -mm. Oh, sorry. So what's next out there? You're breeding dogs. You've got a litter coming, right? I have a litter coming yet. We should have um, some setter puppies right at the dove shoot. I mean, they're due um, right at the beginning of September. We don't know how many she's got. We're gonna go for an ultrasound pretty soon, hopefully, and uh, try to figure out how many she's got. But yeah, we're gonna have a mess of litter puppies, uh, setter puppies. And like I said, this is my first um, litter from one of my females, and um, we're really excited about it. That is super exciting. I did. I bred Mercy, thinking that I would keep a puppy, and then I didn't because I got into the retriever game so big. Um, but I'm about to send Littles off. I told you, I think I'll take her next week. We're going to get her titled, and then I'll probably breed her. I'll probably keep a puppy out of her. But I just, I told you, I admitted that I, I will always want a pointer, but I love the retriever games. Yeah, and... You know, I, like I said, I'm kind of the opposite. I grew up more in the retreat, never competed, never had any desire to do anything like that too much, but but grew up around retrievers and training retrievers way more than uh, pointers and setters. And then here later in life, that's when I've got into setters and pointers and short hairs and all that kind of stuff. Which is my new passion might be short hairs. So I'm, I'm really loving my short hair puppy. Yeah. Yeah, we put him on birds. Uh, well, I mean, he he flushed and pointed some birds last year, but we put him on you know some pigeons and launchers last weekend, and man, he he really did great. Um, I was excited just I mean just to see that little tail. He's got a little bitty two inch tail, and it just quivered with uh shaking with excitement it's, it's so neat to watch but yeah he's i think he's going to be the the real deal in a couple of years oh uh, well with his opportunities he should come around pretty fast being able to get on birds all the time yeah yeah uh, i'm excited um hopefully we'll have him on birds in october and um see what he'll do we've been really uh working on low in the in the yard and on the table and we'll switch it to the field here um next time with launchers i didn't i didn't do any woe training with him i just let him point them and then we launched them chased them uh and we ended up killing two of them letting him retrieve them and uh he did great he did great that is I mean, fun i 
Uh, I do miss the the bird, the, all the dog training stuff. Like, there's something about the rush of of that over. Like, I could do it all day long, but people think it's just fun, but that is hard work taking care of a bunch of dogs. Oh yeah, it's something every day for sure. It is. It's like having preschool twenty four seven. They never go home, and I don't know how they get into so much. It's like you turn your back, and the kennel gets turned upside down. Oh yeah, even my what ten year old um, Labrador has pulled the front end off his kennel today. Uh, it's it's ridiculous, and he's not even a chew or anything, but that's something walk down there and there's the the front half of his kennel just laying tomorrow <laughs> uh, but anyway well my short hairs so, were always worse i mean mercy just she just can't resist mischief it's just who she is dolly will ignore you and she's just all about her nose and it's hunting that's all she thinks about yeah she'll go point tweety birds and mercy looks at her like you fool you are <laughs> you know you look like an idiot you know and then but then mercy will come in the house and just be a terror and i don't even know why like she's really spoiled i guess but she has been in the house in a long time she um i got the guilt trip from her mom and so i brought her in one night she slaughtered my favorite quail mount and I was like, you're done. You don't, you get to run and play and have fun outside. But your tail belongs to the kennel now. And I'm she's probably just retaliating because little stays inside, you know. You know how they are. They're like kids that don't talk back. Well, yeah, and it was a quail mount. I, my very first pointing Labrador, I know we've talked about pointing Labradors before, but he was a, uh, came from Iowa and, uh, my roommate at the time, this was right after college, um, had quail mounted and on the wall, male and a female, and he ate them both. He climbed up on the couch. <laughs> yep, that's what Mercy did. Both as a puppy. And uh, yeah, so we still talk about that to this day. That was probably 10, 15 years ago. I was telling yeah, Benny. You can't really blame well, Mel. Well, maybe. I don't know. I just probably not. But I was telling Benny at Prairie Wildlife about it. I was just sick. I'm like, dang, that thing was so expensive, too. You know, you try to salvage as much of it as you can. And hopefully they can just with when I get more quail, they can just piece it back together. But he's talking about he had a dog that snatched something off the wall, but he was gone. And his wife called him and was like, what do you mean to do with this brat? You know, <laughs> like, you know, and so. I guess everybody has to go through it, but I'm I'm telling you what, I can replace the quail. But if she had got my sharp tail, um, I would have flipped because that and that's not near as easily to replace. Yeah, the same dog. I'm pretty sure it was the same dog. I get them confused. Now, I think it's I think it was Captain, my newest morning Labrador. Uh, chewed the butt stock of my grandfather, my great grandfather's sweet 16. Just oh. a tiny bit, just a tiny bit, um, but bad enough. I mean, it was basically a blemish free gun. It was a gun he didn't really hunt with, but um, still in his collection. But um, 
but yeah, that, that kind of upset me, but at least it was a bird dog chewing on a bird, you know, on a, on a shotgun. I, but yeah, that, that's about as bad as it gets on the chewing up the family heirloom like that. Well, you need a museum out there. I'm sorry. Pictures and artifacts and everything. Y'all need to put a museum out there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah, I'll take you to my parents and show you. They kind of have a museum of all their... uh, My dad has a great um, Civil War collection of of artifacts he's found out here and uh, has them all displayed and in like glass cabinets so you can see them pretty easy and it's really neat yeah he has a great collection i myself have i don't ever find anything um never got into metal detecting or anything like that and i don't ever think to look down people will be walking right next to me and be like here's a mini ball and for some reason i just i'm just walking and and they're looking <laughs> around looking for stuff so I'm I guess just, just not lucky. Like, I've never even found a four-leaf clover. I just am like, I just give up. <laughs> yeah, no, there's plenty of four-leaf clovers out here, but uh, my daughter's real good at finding them. Leave that up to her. <laughs> well, when I was out there, I heard about the uh, that we had just missed the reenactment that you guys host every year in May. Yep. Yep. It's the third weekend in May. Um, so yeah, y'all have to come back and bring Tater next year. It's a, and, and this, the, this year coming up in May will be the 160th um, anniversary. So it should be a, a, a big reenactment itself. Lots of um, reenactors and, and guys coming to, to, to fight and, um, the spectators as well lots of vendors how many soldiers um, do y'all have that show up like how many people oh i don't know that i'm gonna guess um a thousand on a normal year 1200 i could be wrong i really don't know that um i, I don't have a whole lot to do with the reenactment itself especially the numbers side of it i help get ready for it and i help um shuttle people in and out with the tractor club um we do hay rides all day and i do that i've done that in the past two years but no i don't yeah i would say there's enough to where the ground will shake when they march past you no Um, way yeah yeah and um and they're always drumming and blowing the uh, trumpets and and stuff. It's it's really cool just to watch a march, and being close to the to them marching past is is really cool. Um, not to mention they they get out there and fight and shoot guns and and cannons. Probably at least you know ten cannons I'd say on a normal year, and I'm just kind of guessing five southern five northern yeah that's probably a good guess and like i say i think this year um coming up being the 160th anniversary that um it should be a a lot more so i think i read that the battle in resaca was the bloodiest battle in georgia it's like six thousand soldiers died 
Um, is that off? I don't know. I'm kind of know more just to like what happened on this land. Um, like the Battle of Rasak itself is a very long, stretched out battle, like uh, geographically, all the way from like Sugar Valley, Georgia, like the Snake Creek Gap down here. Um, I guess that would be east of here or west of here. I'm sorry. And then keep going east all the way to like uh, the Conasauga River where they did the um, the ferry crossing. So um, I don't know the like a total number of deaths or anything, but it was a, a very, a very long and bloody battle. And it was a terrible three days from what I uh, have read and understand. Um, it's the very first battle in the what they consider the, the Atlanta campaign. And um, yeah, it all happened right here. And, um, you know, I just grew up here and I, I didn't ever really think about it too much, you know, and, and some people, they travel across the country just to come back here and see where their great, great grandfather died or fought and, and stuff. And they get really emotional and all this. And it's really neat to see that side of it when, you know, I've kind of grew up on the, you know, it's just my yard side of it, but, uh, yeah, it's it's it. It was a real big battle, and and um, lots lots of casualties, lots of deaths. We have a uh, cemetery adjacent to our farm. Our farm kind of wraps around it. That uh, it's a Confederate cemetery, but it's it's real historic. And I want to take you over there and let you see it next time. Um, we take quail hunters there sometimes when, when we're uh on that part of the farm but it's always uh you know a, a sobering moment to walk in there it's it's surrounded by like rock columns and got rock walls all the way around it and it's a really neat place uh we always like to take people there and show them well you oh, feel I mean, emotional it's, it, it's different pulling up at at y'all's farm when you, when you come in it's like a naturally manicured, beautiful place, if that makes any sense. Like it's it's manicured, but it still feels it's natural like that. You know, it, it doesn't right, feel right, very right. To it real wild. landscaped. Right. But then with all the historic markers that you come through there, like I always stop and read them on my way in. And it just changes the whole perspective of enjoying that piece of property. Right. Yeah. And there's markers every, you know, couple hundred yards and they'll say 200 yards from here, this happened. And and they're real descriptive. It's real neat. Like you can just drive and get the whole feel of the battle from just, and you can just stay on the road and read all the signs um, that way. And it's pretty neat. Well, I'm sure that people are wondering since we've talked about it in such a serious manner, but I'm sure people are wondering if your place is haunted. <laughs> That's why I do not believe in ghosts. Um, <laughs> and I've never seen or heard anything. That's what I always tell people. I feel like if there were ghosts, 
I would have seen or heard one by now out here. You know, I've spent, uh, I, you know, countless hours at night as a kid running around the, the farm looking for ghosts and stuff like that. But no, I don't, I don't believe in ghosts or, or think there's any civil war ran, uh, um, people running around looking for to haunt us or anything no, so nobody in your family's like that because i mean i'm sure all of y'all kids ra- raised up over there there's got to be some kind of story i can't think of a single story like a ghost story about the civil no i, I really can't and that's that's what i've always told people that's funny it's like no i don't believe in ghosts and and this is why but uh no can't think of anything. I'm sure there is some kind of legend or something, but I can't think of anything. Um, no, the cemetery, maybe. I mean, it's spooky. It's, you know, it's got, you're talking about 200 year old oak trees um, through the whole thing. It's all, it's always like overcast, shady, shaded over there. Um, the sun never really hits it. It's, it's, it's a different place. It's really neat, but, um, but you, yeah, if there were ghosts, that's where they would be, I'm afraid. And that's where you would take me. <laughs> yeah, during the day, though, I don't, I don't, I don't spend time there at night. Yeah, I don't want to go at night. I'm not going to go ask for trouble. Right, right. We did have people in there not too long ago at night, unfortunately, digging up graves looking for artifacts Um, no way yeah 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 that was not super long ago like with this year within the past couple months some some people got arrested and uh well there's there's some neighbors that live around there um and i assume they caught it in it's it's not on our property um there's a public road that goes to it and all and um but now they do have we put up um cameras on our property that that pretty much keep the uh keep a keep an eye on the cemetery so that the uh that the sheriff department can take care of it because it's you know that's that's something you can't replace you can't undig up a grave and put the artifacts back so that is just heartbreaking. I know, yeah, and it was. Uh, I I can't remember exactly, but it was like uh, some historians that were doing it. It wasn't just like pirates, people out trying to you know make money and dig up. There's like people that really knew what they were doing, and uh, and and yeah, it's totally disrespectful just digging up a grave in a you know. Not to mention in a in a uh, war cemetery, you know. So, what's your your plan, your long term goal for this place? Well, I would like to reestablish fifteen coveys of quail that uh, my great grandfather had. Um, we'll see if that's a possibility. Um, we'll have to get some neighbors involved. But I mean, really, I would really love to, you know, get wild quail back. That's more than anything. What I enjoy doing is is the habitat work, creating habitat, be it um, quail habitat, dove habitat, duck, 
that's I like being on the tractor. I like thinking about the next hunt. How can we make it better? Um, even next year, um, you know, how can we do this better next season? That's just that's just always what's going through my head. What can I do better for the for the next hunt or um, or anything? I just I just can't help it. That's just the way my brain is set up. So um, I I want to get to where there's there's wild quail back um and we're 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 doing a lot we're we're enrolled in uh usda program we're actually at the fifth year of it so we either need to re-enroll or look for a new program but they they've helped out a lot they've told they've sent in biologists and um quail unlimited has been here they prescribed all of the timber cut that we did, they've prescribed all the burns that we did and continue to do lots of habitat management and things like that. And then um, they, they pretty much just tell you what you should do and then turn it over to you to do it. So I've really enjoyed, you know, knowing what I was doing is what was right. You know what I mean? Like oh yeah. I had I had the, the professionals tell me, yes, this is exactly what you need to do. And and like I said, it's been a five year uh program and we're we're at the end of it. And and we've seen just we're not saying wild quail yet, but just the landscape, the way it looks, um, you know, it's it's the the thin pines that I know I keep going back to, but uh that, that's just to me where like the wild quail will be in these thin pines that keeps the predators away and uh, and stuff like that. So um, yeah, so I, I don't I just want uh, I, I want to get it back to way the way it used to be. Uh, we're gonna burn every we're gonna burn something every year, not everything. Recently, we've been burning from tree line to tree line, um, pretty much burning everything, and we're going to start selecting our tracks from now on. And like I said, this year is the woods, this year coming up, it'll actually be next year, 24, but um, I'm super excited about that. And then the following season, getting to, to hunt those woods. So, um, to me, that's where it's at. It's just like, uh, I love creating habitat, making it better for the next time. That, yeah, I, I'm excited to see how you tackle this and, and the projects that come out of it for sure. It, it's just exciting to know how much this land is used for all different things and then every person that comes out there gets attached to it yeah that's what everybody says um we always get compliments on the land um you know that's that's one thing we do have going it's, it is beautiful land like i said i take it i'm sure i take it for granted um i drive here every day at, you know and just drive right through it or walk through it and don't appreciate it like I should. But the older I get, you know, the the more I 
stop and, and, and think about things like that. Yeah. So how do people find you? How do they book hunts? Booking hunts is easy. We do um, conestagaoutfitters.com and you can just, it's just a few clicks away. Um, we're already booking. I've got, I've already booked a few hunts for this fall. Um, and we're excited about that. Uh, my Instagram, Conestaga Outfitters, is mainly where I do most of my posting and updates and stuff if you want to stay updated. Um, and that will connect to the Facebook and all that kind of stuff too. But, um, yeah, we do most of our booking just through ConestagaOutfitters.com. It's, it's super easy. Um, we're actually rebuilding that site right now, but I'm pretty sure it's, yeah, it is still up and running. But yeah, this, there's going to be a new website this coming this fall. Um, and like I said, that's a family effort too. My cousins do that. Um, they do that kind of work for me. I, I couldn't do it without everybody pitching in and doing a uh, little bit of what they know because I am, I'm not really a tech savvy guy, but, um, but I have a cousin that is, so they step up and take care of that and like graphic design and all that kind of stuff for me. It's works out great. Oh yeah. You guys have such classy graphics. You know, it's really cool that your family is so involved because that is the culture of that place. It, it's family oriented. It's a place you can bring your wife, even if she doesn't hunt. It's a place you can bring kids, even if they're not big enough to carry a gun. And everybody's catered to there. I mean, there's a place for everybody. They're always going to feel welcome. It's just uh, a special history lesson and feeling like you um, are part of the past and enjoying and carrying on tradition there. And for me, I feel really blessed to get to be a part of it. Well, we're glad to have you. I'm, I hope you'll come out and do a quail hunt. I know we've been talking about it for years, but I think um, if I can get you out here for one, I'll probably get you out here for another one. Well, I promise to. Yep. Just so you know, I promise to bring my kennel help, Gavin, and then my shooting coach. And I, we, we've always hauled our dogs together and we shot together every year. We've always gone on a hunt. I've actually brought him out there to your place. He came with me to a dove shoot one year, but we're going to bring our dogs out this year and put them on some quail. So we've already planned that. He may come out all the time once he comes once because his clients, all of his shooting clients may want to come too. So yeah, it'll, it'll be yeah. great. I look forward to it. Getting those girls out there too turning charlie and taylor loose with the dogs will be fun yeah i know um charlie will stick with us for maybe 30 minutes if taylor's there maybe an hour but then she'll she'll go do something else probably but uh <laughs> she she's real into the dogs she's not super into the hunting aspect yet um but she loves dogs she loves dogs more than anybody i've ever seen it's ridiculous but um but yeah, cool she'll get into Maybe it. we should do a, a youth shooting day. I think that would be so fun. Get kids out there and BB guns and, you know, start them with a yeah. fork and set something up like that. That would be great. 
Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, the youth, I mean, that that is, I mean, that's, you know, our future. So if we don't teach them who's going to, um, I haven't taught Charlie how to shoot a gun yet. And she's 11 now, so. It's about time, time Dad. It's about time. It's been for a long time, but, uh, but yeah, we haven't shot a real. Um, <laughs> she blows up her first clay and you're going to have to put out a permanent clay course out there. Give her a five stand. Well, my neighbor has a five stand, so um, I, we'll, we'll shoot that next time you're in town. But uh, he's offered to to teach her how to shoot as well, so uh, I think she'll get it. That'll be so fun. I well, I look forward to it, and I appreciate you coming on and talking about the family farm and all the hunting. It's really awesome to see somebody start something now. You know, there's a lot of plantations or um, lodges that are generational and been going on for a long time, but there are very few that are new and that are just getting started. So you have a really special thing, having the opportunity to create new legacy on such historic ground. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're really excited about it. Um, like I said, I, we've hunted this ground for a long time and to be able to take people out and, and let them enjoy it too is, um, is something I've always wanted to do. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how far we can take it. Um, I want to be able to, you know, say I hunted every day this year, but uh, maybe not every day, but <laughs> we're, we're hoping to do about 100 hunts this season. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. All right, well, keep me posted, and in the next three weeks, I'll be sending you my dates. Okay, sounds good. Anytime, I'll keep my calendar open for you. All right, I appreciate it, Jesse. Papa gave daddy and daddy gave